Hello and welcome to another episode of Cycling's Most Intriguing Podcast, Put Your Socks On, or as we're calling it here in the office, Fizzo. Today I'm joined as I am every day with the cycling legend, Bobby Julik. Bobby, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing great. It's super to hear your voice, Gus. It was a, what a good month or so since we did one of these. Got to knock the cobwebs off a little bit. Yeah, just just excited to keep this momentum going. We want to do some a podcast, maybe not every single day of the Tour of Spain, but once a week just to kind of keep people up and running and, and see if we can, you know, just keep keep the viewership going that we had during the Tour de France. So today's a great show. We're going to be covering the first few stages of the Vuelta. We're going to touch on the Women's Colorado Classic, and we were able to speak with Allison Tetrick, who gave us some really good insight to the women's peloton. But before that, let's kind of go down. A lot has happened since the Tour de France, right? A lot has happened. You know, you get done with the Tour, there's a couple days where you're like, oh man, what do I do now? And then bang. The racing is back on. And we always said that, like, the Tour de France is the biggest race in the world, but a few days after the Tour, you're already talking about the next couple races. So let's catch up on the, the, the races that we've paid attention to, that we found interesting since the Tour de France. Yeah, Bobby, you're right. It, is, um, it feels kind of weird, you know, after doing every day of the Tour. You feel so exhausted just us, you know, talking about it, let alone racing it. And then you see guys instantly, you know, next weekend back at a major race uh, and, at the, and, the, and at the pointy end. So it's impressive stuff. I mean, yeah, first weekend after the Tour de France, San Sebastian, huge classic. And Evenepoel, Remy Evenepoel, the, the Belgian prodigy, took the win there in an exceptional ride and, uh, and became the youngest uh, winner of a World Tour event. So, yeah, straight away back into the racing. And uh, we mentioned him a little bit in the Tour. He was absent, but... Uh, Man, he uh, he really uh, demonstrated that he's on for uh, a big future. Gus, this guy was racing junior races last year. Junior races. And then he steps into the World Tour and wins, in my opinion, one of the coolest classics on the calendar. In impressive fashion, I, I, I must say. Wow, just um, seeing these young kids come directly into the world tour and win is so impressive and it just shows me that the the sport is going in the right direction bobby um one thing that i do want to note the results there was a, uh, the uci ran a survey during the tour de france um basically asking all of the viewers the fans of the sport to give their two cents worth you know and and say what they thought was working and what they thought wasn't working and the results have been published and and not to anyone's surprise I, most people think that the disparity in the budgets of the team uh, in, uh, in the budgets of the teams is making the sport less interesting um, as well as um, we, and we've seen this in the past the argument and, and for, for the banning of race radios and power meters to be restricted um, which I think yeah you know those, those were the questions they asked and I guess that's sort of those are the answers you'd probably expect I personally think that those measures miss the point and I think that you know if we take away power meters or we take away race radios it's not really going to change the way that we engage with the sport because I think what we're missing at the moment is connected, connecting with the riders. It's, we're missing the characters. We're missing, you know, we're, we're missing the backstory and, and that engagement. So I think that if the UCI want to really, you know, start bringing people back to bike riding, they need to think about the ways in which they broadcast it. You know, if the world can watch a chess match uh, and be captivated by that when, you know, literally next to nothing happens on a screen... Uh, I think that we can we can figure out a way to make cycling interesting, and I think that that comes back to 
to the behind the scenes, to the characters and to the people in the sport. So hopefully we can see a little bit of that uh, sprinkled in. The, the Tour of Colorado, uh, which was just on over the weekend, is a demonstration that that is happening and uh, hopefully that can continue. Man, there are so many good races going on. Um, you know, we had the Tour, Ab- Tour Avenir, which is one of my favorite races to watch, uh, to pay attention to. Obviously, it's not, you know, televised like the, like the Tour de France or the Vuelta, but there was some pretty impressive young kids going out there and strutting their stuff. And I just wanted to give, give a shout-out to um, Matteo Jorgensen. American guy mm-hmm. that was just really, really riding well. He was up to second place overall in the GC until the the ninth stage, where looked like he lost some some time there. But he did win the green jersey. And you know, Tour Avenir is basically a one stop shop for for World Tour teams, for professional teams. They're looking at these guys, and I'm sure he has an agent now. And I'm excited to see where he goes uh, in the future. But yeah, just a great race all around. There were multiple stage winners from many different countries. I don't think anybody doubled up and won multiple stages, but we had guys from Denmark, Norway, Great Britain, uh, Switzerland, Colombia, Australia, Hungary, and Ecuador winning stages. And the GC was won by Tobias Foss from, from Norway. So you wouldn't expect a guy, a Norwegian kid, to win the Tour Avenir because, let's face it, Tour Avenir is not flat. And this kid learned how to climb, has a lot of talent, and is definitely going to be signed up by the one of the big boys next year for sure. Yeah, we all know uh, the the Tour de France champion this year was a winner of the of the Tour of Lavenir not that long ago. So it is definitely an indicator of uh, of future potential, and good to see uh, young Alexander Evans, the Aussie kid, uh, up there winning. So good on you, buddy, uh, doing it for the Aussies down under. We had Tour of Denmark yeah. as well, and. Ian Garrison, who is the national time trial champion now, he was over there kicking it around, getting some great experience. He wound up 18th in GC and fourth in the Young Riders competition. So another young American out there getting some experience in in some 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 tough races. And just recently, we had Hamburg finish, where Viviani, the now European champion, beat mm. uh, Caleb Ewan. And Nizolo. So, man, it's like Tour de France, what? Like, all of a sudden, yeah. there's just so much going on. It's almost like we forgot how, you know, even what happened and where those guys are that were, you know, all over the airwaves, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But then there was also some, some interesting news, um, some kind of tragic, and, mm-hmm. and also, you know, one of the biggest sprinters in the world retiring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the tragic news, of course, uh, Bjorg Lambert's passing uh, in the Tour of Poland. Um, tragic, yeah, like, yeah, tragic news and uh, condolences to, to his family, obviously, and, and, and the team. And it's always, obviously, always sad to see that uh, occur in bike racing. And, and it, it's a reminder that this is very dangerous. We need to just be mindful of each other, mindful of the danger, and take that into account when we're racing because, you know, it's never worth... Uh, it's never worth your life, and um, and as we've seen, you know, and we spoke about this during the tour, the sport's getting more competitive in every aspect, whether that's racing downhill, whether that's racing for position, for crosswinds, that sort of stuff. So, with with all of that leveling up and all of that stress, um, there's obviously you know going to be uh, increasing danger as well. And so, yeah, it's just a reminder that this is this is yeah, you're playing for keeps here, and it is a dangerous sport. 
So, Bobby, we have a cracker of a show today, and the main part of that that we want to talk about this week uh, is the third Grand Tour of the season, the Vuelta, um, often kind of forgotten a little bit by uh, by this time of the year. A lot of riders are fatigued, you know, a lot of the, the, the big stars have, have had their shot at the Tour de France, but it is always a savage race, uh, 21 days long, at the end of what is always a long season. It's hot. You've ridden the Vuelta. Can you kind of tell me what the mindset's like there? Yeah, there, there's two mindsets. There's absolutely motivated because maybe you haven't signed that contract yet, or there's the one that's just like, oh my gosh, why couldn't have you know I got a little sickness right before this or a, or a knee issue <laughs> pop up? Because man, when these guys have done a full schedule of racing and then you know at the end of the year they get that maybe unexpected call to go and fill in for somebody at the Vuelta. It's, it's tough. The one thing I do like about the Vuelta is the stages start a little bit later. Uh, you're always in decent hotels. I really like the food in Spain because you could always get, um, Jamon Serrano or Iberico that was always on the table, olives. So I always had something to, to kind of, you know, wet the palate a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> but the Vuelta is definitely a, a, a special race. Um, you either have it or you don't. And when you, when you have it, it's, it's pretty easy pickings because you're not racing against 100% of the peloton like you were in the Tour de France. You got guys prepping for the Worlds, guys on their you know, last legs. So if you, if you have that motivation and the form, you have to have both. Uh, mm. The Tour de Spain is a, is a great place to showcase your talent. Yeah, and as we've seen... Uh in the first few days, it has been uh, already an unpredictable and interesting race. Let's dive in and have a bit of a recap of the first few stages and a look at the next week of the race. The Vuelta, it kicked off on Saturday and uh, it's been all on for the first three stages in typical Vuelta fashion, unpredictable and uh, and ignoring the usual uh, proceedings and kind of throwing a few curveballs out already. Bobby, it's been a great first few stages. Yeah, you got to love a TTT. Uh, starting out in the the salt mines, it looked like it was something out of, you know, like Star Wars or Star Trek or something yeah. like that. That was pretty crazy. And can you imagine the poor people that had to construct all that? It looked like it was hot as out there. Oh, shit. I'm beached ears. And they had to construct everything. And I can just imagine the mechanics freaking out, you know, getting salt on the components. And, but it was a pretty spectacular backdrop there. But I tell you one thing, TTT starting off in the Vuelta is quite normal. But let me tell yeah. you, that is not an easy start to a Grand Tour. I mean, everybody, you know, you know different different periods of their season, right? There's some guys that are, you know, super hungry still. There's other guys that are just kind of, you know, they got the phone call and they kind of reluctantly pack their suitcase and are heading to to the Tour of Spain for three yeah. more weeks. And then there's the guys that are using the Tour of Spain for like a buildup for the world championships. So starting off with that sort of time tra- team time trial is is tough. And, you know, we, we saw a great race. Unfortunately, in that one turn, it looked like somehow water got on the road, and Yumba it was Visma a it was a a kiddie pool, like a a paddle pool, uh, apparently like sprung a leak, and uh, and so the water was running onto the course. What a like what a uh, unfortunate circumstance, and the costly for Rogelik and Kreiswick. 
Yeah, Jumba Visma had a big stack up there. So did uh, UAE Emirates with uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite riders, uh, Podakar. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of those teams were, were, were on it. And that's the thing about a team time trial is when things go wrong, everything goes wrong. It's like a nightmare that you just can't wake up from. But one yeah. of the most unique feelings is when everything goes right. Everyone's doing their pulls. Everyone's smooth. It is some of the best memories I have on on my bike is is doing team time trials. But man, it was it was a it was a fast one, no doubt about it. Astana kind of surprised me. They uh, they came through there and and smoked smoked um, Quick Step, which also we need to mention had a little bit of well a lot of bad luck. Bad luck and good luck. Um, they could have crashed into the back of that that car from Yumba Visma, and there could have been guys in the hospital. Luckily, they were able to avoid disaster and go on and finish second. But uh, I know that maybe I, I think that the result would have been different if they didn't have that that breaking concentration and almost full panic mode uh, right there at the end. Yeah, no, notable uh, notable performance by them, and super unlucky. Uh, interesting to see Ineos very dominant at the Tour de France, obviously um, down outside the top ten as well. So interesting. It seems like they haven't brought uh, their A team to the to the Vuelta, or at least they're they've just kind of mistimed their their condition a little bit there. Yeah, I th- I think um, they they didn't really have that that leader that they they've had in the past. You know, obviously mm. this would have been a, a race that Chris Froome would have targeted for sure, and that just left a big. A big hole in their preparation, but yeah, congratulations to Astana beating Quick Step by two seconds, Sunweb by five seconds, and a very very good ride by EF Education first, finishing in fourth, only seven seconds down. So, you know, put their put their guys in in good position. Absolutely, and we had we saw um, uh, Lopez, the Colombian. He's uh, he took the he took the lead. So he's um, after. What some people would probably say was a bit of a lackluster Giro. We sort of haven't really seen him race. He turns up and uh, and takes the first jersey. And if you watched him right across the line, he was he was dominant for a for a pint sized climber on a flat TTT. He led that team home really strong. So, yep, he was a winner. I think um, we saw uh, Movistar up there with Quintana, who um, didn't lose too much time, uh, which is good for him and boded well. And then yeah, we obviously saw Rodrigo lose a bit of time, Chryswick lose a bit of time. Uh, and a few others there. So, and then we have stage two, <laughs> and what should have been a pretty straightforward, right? You would agree, like a pretty straightforward sprint stage, and it just got flipped, flipped on its head. Yeah, that was a tough climb, about twenty-five k to go, and they were just not sitting around uh, having ice cream cones or eating cookies. They uh, they attacked that pretty strong, and seeing Valverde just, you know, as old as he is just bossing it up that sort of climb, created a, a pretty good selection and then got a little tactical there at the end. And of all people, Nairo Quintana attacks the, the, the reduced group and goes on, wins the stage and almost takes the jersey. But Nicholas Roach got that honor. And uh, that's not the first time that he's had the jersey. He had it way back in, in 2013 as well. So these are two guys that came out of the tour, recovered, uh, freshened up and are at the pointy end of the race already. Yeah, it was uh, it was a long old slog out there, 200k 
stage and it was fireworks at the end it was cool and it was really cool to see Quintana after everyone kind of felt a bit sorry like for him during the Tour de France I think or at least you know there was a lot of sympathy for him and uh with the dynamic in his team or what the you know perceived dynamic was and so to see him come out and kick ass uh, on that second stage was really really cool I do want to note at the end of at the end of that stage we saw obviously Lopez missed the split um that split at the end there that happened on the on the like 20 kilometers to go, a little downhill section after the final climb. Um, we saw Rodjlik, Quintana, uh, Mikhail Nievi, Uran, and a surprise, a surprise Aru. Um, and I guess Nico Roach too, a little bit of a surprise to be in that group, although he's always good at the always seems to be good at the Vuelta. So, you know, it, it demonstrates that these that those that handful of guys, that seven guys, um, or sort of five guys from the from the general classification really um, stamp, stamping their mark on the race straight away. And, uh, yeah, a few guys lost out there, obviously, evidently, Lopez, Micah, uh, Formolo as well. few, yeah, so we'll, it's going to be an interesting race. It's going to have to be an aggressive race. And there's, with eight summit finishes uh, this year, it's going to be a hard race. Yeah, the Vuelta is always unpredictable. They're, they always find these these tricky finishes and steep climbs. You know, having said already that the motivation of the riders is kind of all over the shop compared to the Tour de France. You got, you know, contracts that, I, you know, when I did my first Tour of Spain in 1996, that's all I wanted was for, you know, just to be in the front. And yep. I attacked one day and I got some bonus seconds and some King of the Mountain points. And when we we're coming into the finish, so I collected six bonus seconds. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be on the front page of the results. Uh, I'm going to be in the newspaper. People are going to know my name. And I collected a total of six seconds. And when we came into <laughs> the finish, it was a dangerous kind of twisty, windy circuit. And I got gapped off and lost exactly six seconds. So nothing, no, you know, no podium, no nothing. But I did, I did get enough points there to, um, to have the King of the Mountain jersey. And I tried to defend that as long as possible because, man, contracts this time of year, it's like, what have you done for me lately? And, yeah. you know, what, what guys did in the spring, what guys did in the Giro, even what guys did in the Tour de France isn't as relevant as what you're doing at that moment. So, you know, we got a lot of Americans in, in the Vuelta this year. I think we have nine. We have Logan Owen, Pete Stetna, Nelson Paulus, TJ Van Garderen, uh, Craddock, Ben King, uh, Keel, Sepkus, and, and Will Barta. So let's, let's get yeah. these guys going. Let's motivate them. Let's uh, hit them up on social media and, and give them some mo- morale because, um, you don't want to have CBF at the end of the season. That's for sure. Um, you want to use this as a good race, not only for the contracts, but preparation for Worlds. And yeah, starting off with a, a stage like this, uh, as selective as it was right out of the right out of the blocks, is going to surely make for some exci- exciting racing the rest of these three weeks. Yeah, and we already saw Nielsen Palace today. Um, moving on to, to, to stage three, uh, Nielsen Palace was drilling it on the front there in the crosswind section it didn't amount to anything but it looked like it could potentially split the race so he's uh, evidently riding really well um we saw sep Kuss up there um as well jumbo visma they're aggressive today again um stage three third stage uh another relatively long uh stage with a flat kind of downhill run into the finish speaking of contracts um it's been he's been quite vocal um coming into this race uh, but Sam Bennett, 
who's already won 11 races this season, arguably the best sprinter in the world, without a contract. And, uh, and, and with it all to prove here at the, at the Vuelta, and prove it he did with a fantastic ride today. How, what, talk us through what the what else does he have to prove? I mean, he's won multiple stages yeah. in world tour events that this guy doesn't have a contract. I'm hoping that it's just maybe he's asking for just a little bit too much money than other teams have budgeted for a sprinter. But how is this guy not getting mopped up by every team out there? I just don't understand. Uh, he's, he's had an exceptional year and he's such an underrated bike rider. And I feel like, yeah, he needs, he deserves a team. He deserves a team behind him, a proper sprint train and, and, uh, and some support. Yeah, but it, it does this time of year get down to the bean counters, you know? I mean, you've signed guys up before the, the Giro, before the Tour. Uh, the budgets are getting smaller um, for, for most teams. And, yeah, I just hope that he goes somewhere where, where he can really shine. Not that he's in a bad place right now, but I think anybody on a team with Peter Sagan is going to take a back seat. And he deserves to have more of that co-pilot seat, front seat, rather than yeah. sitting in the back of the bus, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and today uh, he proved with a pretty resounding victory, right, on what was, uh, again, not quite as straight a forward not quite, quite as straightforward uh, a stage as you would expect f- looking at the topography. Um, we saw about oh, how far about 40k to go. Uh, there was a, a little cat three there that, that ended up piping uh, Gaviria, who was left alone kind of like for some reason or just with one teammate um, and, and never made it back in. And then we saw a really fast sort of downhill run with, it, with, with crosswinds there coming into the finish. And it looked like it could split up. So, again, another stressful day for the riders. But uh, Sam Bennett coming out on top there, winning by two lengths. Easy. Yeah, he's a, he's a beast. And winning in the Irish National Championship jersey must be awesome as well. But going back to Gavaria there, I mean, mm-hmm. this is another part of team, you know, how you select a team for a yep. Grand Tour. And, you know, Aru is on that team. Potokar is on that team. They can't send everybody back for a guy that gets dropped on a Category 3 with, with 40K to go. So, you know, it looked bad on TV, like, hey, why isn't his team back there? But, yeah. you know, you have other fish to fry. You have other, other focuses, and you can't just wrap it up. And that's what makes this sport so difficult, especially when you're selecting a team for a Grand Tour, is how many guys can you actually allot to a sprinter? And, you know, sprinters are more and more getting over these harder climbs, no doubt. And today he just had a bad day. I'm sure he's going to come back and win a stage. But really, there's not that many sprinters here at the Vuelta this year for, for a reason that you mentioned earlier. You know, eight uphill finishes. A lot of those stages are, are lumpy. There's very, very, very few obvious sprinter days. And that being said, it's the Vuelta, so you never know. There could be a breakaway that goes from the gun. So um, great, great for him and big fan. I love his uh, his post race interviews. You know he's keeping it positive. I don't think he's um, you know really knocking anybody. He's he's yeah. he's he's keeping it classy. Put it that way. And that's that's another reason to sign this kid up. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's look at the week ahead uh, and what a brutal week we have coming up in the Vuelta. Uh, quite a few summit finishes, and then the days where they're not. Um, well, they're yeah they're going to be like like today and like yesterday. They're not going to run to the script. Let's talk about stage four. What's it? What do you reckon? Sprint finish, 
Yeah, I think it'll be a sprint finish. There's a, a climb with 50K to go that's 5K at 5%, but with 50K to go, I think that uh, it, it will come down to a sprint. You know, the, the race starting off as, as hard as it has, you, you never know if a breakaway will go, but I, I do believe it'll be a sprint. And yeah, I'm going to say that Gavaria is going to make up for his, his mistake today, and uh, he's my pick for tomorrow. That's, that's not a bad pick. I think he'll be very hungry. I'm I'm going to go with Bennett. Um, after today's performance, I think that he's going to uh, he's going to pick off another win tomorrow, and then pretty promptly down the track, probably pack his bags and and try and get ready for the Worlds. Yeah, this will be the last uh, last day for a while. That's going to be mm. a, a potential sprint stage because transitioning into stage five, anything yep. that has the word observatorio in the name of the finish you know it's going to be it's going to be tricky this is going to be an 11k uphill finish at eight percent finishing at almost 2,000 meters we're going to get a really good idea really quick of who who's ready to race because tomorrow with that sort of climb at the end oh man you better you better be on your a game absolutely it's a it's a slog all day with plenty of a uh, couple there's a cat two a cat three it's 171k long, uh, and it's it just trends uphill the whole day. It's going to be a schlog, uh, and that's what I love about the Vuelta, right? Like the Giro, you sleep for the first 11 days. At the Tour, it was sort of like you know they give you like a little taste and they take it away. But at the Vuelta, they're just like you can have it all, uh, and we're just going to throw hard stages in there right from the gun. So I love it. I'm excited. Yeah, stage five is going to be a good one. Stage six, just back it up. Uphill start, you know, you got that, uh, you got a cat two, cat three combo, which is definitely going to make it difficult. That That's obviously where the, the breakaway will have to go. Then you have a, an uphill finish of eight kilometers with at 5.2%. So this, I think, is going to be a breakaway day because you can't be just controlling the race from start to finish in, in the first week. And, you know, there's going to, there's been some guys that have lost some time, but I think that this is going to be a breakaway guy, a strong breakaway guy winning, but it will also obviously have some GC implications with finishing uphill. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Who's your pick? Oh, when I think of a, a stage like this, um, I have to go with Thomas DeGent. I mean, the guy Dude, is just yeah. a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I um, As soon as you said it's probably going to be a breakaway, I was like, well, obviously... Thomas again, and the more I look at the profile right now, it's got to be right. He was uh, he was sniffing around the front today, so he's come out of the Tour de France pretty fresh and evidently quite motivated. So, yeah, that's a good pick. I I picked uh, Sergio Higuita because it's not super steep, and he's he's quick. He took the he took the the bonus seconds today. We're gonna be hearing a lot about that kid over these next three weeks. We we got a little taste in Tour of California. And mm-hmm. I have a feeling he's gonna light light some some people on fire in the, in this race for sure. Stage seven. Ooh. Guess what's on the menu? Yeah, it's, it has a little bit more of a calm start. You know, the first eighty k are pretty pretty flat, but then you got to go cat three, cat two, cat three, cat two, and then finishing with a cat one of a uphill finish twelve percent for four kilometers. Twelve percent for four Oof. kilometers. Hi, Oof. that that's that's for real, and yep, I'm I'm picking Hagita on that one, dude. That's a good pick. I'm I'm going with Rodjlik. I think he's here to. Uh, 
I think he's here to win this race and he's, you know, we saw yesterday he's in good form and, uh, yeah, I think I think he, he, he likes those steep power climbs. So my pick's with him. Stage eight, lumpy, cat two, 30K from home, but it's not, you know, a reduced bunch sprint probably with time for a couple of sprinters to get back in. And I think after such a hard few days that it won't be too many fireworks or will there? Uh, I think they will. I think this, the sprinters will get dropped because it's 30K to go. Um, eight kilometers at 7%. That's not a walk in the park. Yeah, There's going to be point. somebody pinning it right there. So I think most of the sprinters are going to be gone. Um, and my, my, my pick for that day is going to be Valverde. Yeah. Then, yeah, moving into the weekend. In, in the weekend is going to be pretty exciting too. Stage nine, short and sharp, 94 kilometers. It's basically three. It's, it's five climbs, but it's basically just three because one of the climbs is like when you get to the top of it, it's just a little bit of downhill and you kind of keep going up. So it's going to be flat out. What do you reckon? Yeah, this is that kind of typical Vuelta day that I'm surprised we don't have more of this year. This is the only kind of short, you know, super selective stage. Yeah. It being in Andorra, this is going to be a major GC battle with climbing at high altitude all day long. You know, those short stages are going to hurt, but those are always the ones that 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 are a little bit more selective and, you know, people are taking a few more chances. A different kind of rider is going to win today because of the, the length of time that they're going to spend at altitude. Almost all day long, they're above 15, 1,600 uh, meters and they, they, they peak out there at uh, 2,000 meters at the top of the, the, second, uh, the last one. Yeah. So just going on you know, what we saw in the tour and what we saw on the second stage. My, my pick for that day is Quintana. Yeah, I'm going with a, another Colombian. I'm going with Rigoberto Uran for that one. I think he, he demonstrated again that he, uh, he was at the front two days ago. He's on good form and I reckon he might just pull out a good race. I just got a good feeling about him for this, for this, uh, for this Vuelta. And that brings us to the end of what will be the first sort of week, a little bit more than the first 10 nine stages first 10 days of the race going to be a good solid first week and then yeah and then we and then we're going to probably have a pretty good indication of, of how this wealth is going to play out and, and who's in contention by the time we uh, are back on the airwaves next week one thing that i want to i know it's going into the next week and you know they have a rest day but they have stage 10 is the mm-hmm. time trial and it comes after a rest day the man we talked about this in the tour that, you know, yeah. after the rest days, they kind of had a nice little transition day to kind of get the legs going back again. And guys were taking a total day off the bike because they knew they'd be able to have some time to get their legs going around in circles again. But to have a rest day and have to go out and recon a time trial and stress about that, um, it's not going to be a rest day. There's going to be a lot of work being done, a lot of you know stress on the staff because that next day is going to be super important. So don't want to preview that one yet because we'll have time to the the next time. But um, that's going to be tricky, something to think about. Bobby, there was another unique race over the weekend, uh, the Colorado Classic, which is a bit of a well, it's a classic in the uh, U.S. racing scene. But this year, uh, it was it was completely different. For the first time, it was uh, an all women's event. So there was. There was no men's race. The women's race took uh, took front and center stage. It was a four day race. Um, some some serious altitude gain and a lot of it at altitude. Uh, you watched the race. It was it was cool. It was a, it was a new format and um, it was really exciting. It was really exciting racing. 
Yeah, I grew up in Colorado, so I remember every race that I went to. Uh, the women, the the course classic. They had the men and the women racing at the same time, you know, finishing on the same finish lines, and it just was part of growing up. Like when I was young, I was always used to seeing women's races at that high caliber. I had pictures of Connie Carpenter Finney and Rebecca Twig on my wall because they were so good in the Olympics when I first started getting into cycling. So I was one hundred percent stoked that they had their own race because it's been a while um where they've had that sort of just hey the spotlight is on us and those ladies put on one heck of a show no doubt and the race itself i was following on the the tour tracker app which i think every single race should have one of those so that everyone can watch because you know trying to get it off the internet weird streaming things it just doesn't work but this was so good and really kept you informed had little tidbits about some of the personalities of some of the lesser known riders and you just got a really good feel for for the race i like the way they set it up with the with the um start and finish towns being the same so you know that kind of compacted the um the fan base um and the crowd preems that was phenomenal. I mean, what a genius idea that was. When I was when I was growing up racing in Colorado and they wanted to do a crowd preem, they would flip over a traffic cone, like, you know, one of those orange traffic yeah. cones, and then just go around and people would throw in change or a dollar or five dollars. And man, it was a curb to curb sprint for that. You never knew what how much how much it was gonna be. But the first time they did this, it was done over the internet. So you could donate uh over the internet or via text message and they raised ten thousand dollars for the first one and i think a little bit less than that for the second one in, in denver yesterday and but, they divvied that up right oh, so it was it was half went to the riders half went to a local charity as well right which is a sweet idea exactly yeah exactly like what why don't why didn't why didn't we think of this earlier you know yeah, so exactly. it was it was just Overall, for me, seeing any bicycle racing in Colorado is special, but paying attention to this one and seeing the dominance and these ladies giving it their, their all was, was really fun to watch. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of, um, of the organizers of this race uh, and how they're trying to tackle cycling as an entertainment uh, category, and I think they're doing a fantastic job. They're pushing the envelope um, with the formats, with, you know, like, making uh women's racing front and center good prize money this year the prize money was 75 grand which is that's you know that's huge for for north american racing um men's or women's so it was great to see we have ali tetrakia with us today who uh was down there ali how are you doing i'm doing well how are you guys doing really well really well thanks for coming on the show yeah thanks for having me it's exciting to talk about women's racing that's for sure Hey, Allie, were you, were you at the race, uh, the races themselves? Were you there live? Yes, um, I was able to see some of the racing. And it was fantastic. And also with the Tour Tracker apps and to see the growth of women's cycling was really exciting. And of course, as you know, um, Colorado always, always provides a beautiful backdrop for cycling in general and of course makes a heck of a place to race a bike. First stage was steamboat to steamboat. Uh, I grew up not far from there, so I know that that's uh, pretty high altitude. So 
were were there a lot of ladies that were doing altitude training camps to prepare for this race? Yeah, um, I saw, of course, via social media and knowing some of my former teammates that did a pretty substantial amount of altitude training to try to prepare for this event. There was also a big gravel race put on by um, a former teammate of mine, Amy Charity, in Steamboat the week before. So a lot of women were out there racing gravel before hopping into the Colorado Classic, which was really cool. But as you know, training for altitude makes a big difference. So if you can acclimate, you'll probably perform a little better. The other thing that I found really interesting about these stages is that they weren't killer long, were they? They were like between two and two and a half hours. And that just seemed to create just good action. You know, these longer races, especially, you know, three or four hour stages, you know, kind of, uh, you know, there's a lull in the action, but it didn't seem like that this year with these, these quicker, more intense stages. Yeah. I mean, all four stages were, you know, circuit style stages, um, which is very spectator friendly. And there was never a dull moment in those races. You know, they're a little over two hours each and the circuits made it almost, like a criterion, but not quite. The circuits were longer and they're really punchy. So talking to some of the riders racing in it and, you know, saying that that made it really challenging because there was just attacks after attacks and the racing was really fast. So it definitely wasn't a traditional road racing style and it made it super aggressive and exciting to watch. With these shorter, more intense stages, I mean, unless you were living on the moon, people, um, we saw one heck of a result by Chloe Digart owen Give us a little information on, on her. Let us, let's... I mean, we saw that she was absolutely dominant and her team rode like just a perfect race. But what, what's her, her backstory? Yeah, so Chloe is um, she's an Olympian, uh, part of the gold medal winning team pursuit team for USA. And, you know, she's on the track going into that again for Tokyo 2020. Um, she's eight-time world champion, I think. You know, that's including track and a two-time junior uh, world champion on the road. And when it was in Richmond, Virginia, really exciting to watch. I was able to watch her win that junior title. Um, she's an incredible athlete. She's coming back from an injury. In 2018, she had a pretty big crash at the Amgen Tour of California, and, you know, she's got a great coach with Kristen Armstrong, and she's working on gaining her mental strength back and getting confidence, and, I mean, I think watching her race um, in, in a very dominant fashion at the Colorado Classic is a really good sign for USA Cycling, our women's development program, and medals in, in Tokyo. Yeah, her performance was really remarkable, and it was good to see, as you said, like, women's uh, cycling in the USA is on track for Tokyo Games. There was a lot of pretty amazing rides from from a lot of people. I know, like, you know, because Chloe was so dominant, she sort of takes a cake. But there was a few other riders you mentioned uh, that when we were talking before the show that had really remarkable rides and and performances. Do you want to talk about a few of those? Yeah, I think one of the really unique things that the Colorado Classic did here was this We Ride campaign to really showcase these incredible female cyclists and to put women's cycling on front and center stage with, we've talked about raising the prize money and the equity in the sports. They've really invested in that. And something interesting that they did is also help bring awareness and a platform to tell the stories of some of these athletes. So not only was there a most badass Jersey award um, every day to the uh, traditionally like most aggressive rider, there was an Mm -hmm. interesting Jersey called most inspirational. I think it was the Audi most inspirational Jersey. And this was an opportunity to award pivotal women in the sport that do amazing things in advocacy and their um, community. So you had the award given to, uh, uh, I, 
Aisha McGowan, of course, who does a lot for increasing diversity and exposure mm-hmm. to women cycling. And then, you know, Lindsay Goldman that owns uh, T- Superman. So she's a team owner and she's racing in the race. And we had a 52-year-old uh, French woman, Edwidge Battelle, that I used to race against. And, you know, she got that the last day in in, in um, Denver. So, of course, you have 22-year-old Chloe winning all four stages, and you have a 52-year-old woman out there racing bikes and getting top five on a stage, too. So it's pretty exciting to, to see these powerful women and tell their stories and, and really give them the opportunity to shine on and off the bike. I love this race, and I like it more and more as we talk about it, because I think that that's what First of all, I think that, that sport should be for the betterment of society, right? And so we should be uplifting people who are doing good and we should be using sport to promote that. And, and it's nice to see that we can have competitive events that do that, that uplift um, inspiring stories, powerful characters and tell their stories because I think that that's how you engage. Like as humans, we love hearing a good story and engaging with the story. And I think that you know, cycling needs more of that. It needs more characters and it needs more texture. And I think that this race is a perfect example of, of that. And I, and I really hope to see it grow and continue to do that. And, and I hope men's cycling takes a, a bit of notice and, and starts to implement a few of these formats, some of these jerseys. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic stuff. And uh, hopefully we see it continue to keep growing. Just creating characters too, like letting us know what these, these ladies are all about. Then, then that creates a fan base, and that creates sponsorship interest, and that creates more and more races like, like this one. I mean, with, with $75,000 in prize money and then an extra, what, 20-ish in those crowd premiums, these ladies were making some, some serious money. And that's always been kind of the issue, right? The, the men get the bigger prize lists, and, and the women you know, ride for, for peanuts. But let's, let's, let's keep with this template. Let's move it forward. Let's play it forward. Let's start to see all, all these races so these women don't have to work you know, one or two jobs and go to school uh, in order to, to fulfill their dreams of being on an Olympic team or being a, uh, a professional cyclist in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think Colorado Classic did a huge step forward for women cycling and increasing the equity. And, you know, I know Sean Petty and the whole program there have really been dedicated to this cause. And it's just, it's um, increases our fan base if we can get out and have that on TV, show stories and really showcase the athletes to inspire other people. And of course, then you increase sponsorship dollars as well. And, you know, during our tour of California coverage, when we covered the women's race, I remember, you know, the name Chloe Dygart is associated with always being on the front and always winning and being seven-time world champion, et cetera, Olympian. And I remember in the race, it was a totally different kind of vibe that she had. She kind of came on there, I think it was the last stage, and she wound up getting fourth in a sprint that we would normally imagine that she would win. But with her coming back from from TBI and from, you know, some injuries and a little bit of a difficult period, it was so great to see her, her swagger and for her to, you know, be able to attack and, and win the, the sprints, the, the young rider jersey, the KOM jersey, everything. And then I think she actually won that crowd preem yesterday. Um, it was kind of hard to see on my phone app, but um, it looked like she, she, she won that as well. Um, that's cycling, right? I mean, you go through these ups and these downs, and she is definitely on a high now. And where does she go from here? You know, be, having been a pro- female professional cyclist yourself, when you have such a dominant performance, is there kind of like a 
a, a letdown after a race like this, or is it just giving you more motivation and focus to see how far you can go? Because talking to her director sportif and team owner, they said she doesn't know what she's capable of. So what is she capable of? You know, I think that we all want to know that. I mean, what I love about Chloe as an athlete, um, she's raw, she's real, she's funny. Um, she doesn't take it too seriously, and she's been able to find this really fantastic balance of um, enjoying racing her bike and also everything else that life has to offer. Um, I was on the Pan American Championship team with her a couple years ago, and what impressed me most is she has no idea what she's capable of, and she's just willing to go so hard for so long when her body is just screaming, and she can dig deeper than anybody I know, and she probably has you know, this incredible potential. So I just think as long as she keeps loving what she's doing, having fun and finding that balance, the options for this, this young woman are pretty much endless. And I'm, you know, for me, that's just really exciting. And for team USA and USA cycling and inspiring the next generation. And as even we look into getting medals in Tokyo, so to keep growing our sport with an athlete like her, that's not scared to laugh and smile. And then you know, attack day after day, even when you're, you already have it in the bag, you know, so that's just her testing her limits there. That's how we saw our race, which was really cool. Yeah. That was another thing I loved to see. We saw it in the, in the Amgen tour of California with the men. And we saw it here with, with the, the women was that there was a national team in the race. I mean, anytime that you can put on a stars and stripes Jersey and represent your country is something special. And it's giving these girls that maybe weren't on a on a trade team that was going to do the race. It gave them an opportunity, and I believe they were kind of a conglomerate conglomerate of uh, coll- collegiate racers, with with Katie Hall kind of acting as the the, the mentor. Um, Tell us a little bit about those ladies. So that was so impressive to see these young uh, collegiate all-stars, if you want to call them, um, on this national team, because these are kind of our brightest and you know stars for the future in, in our collegiate cycling programs. And to give them the opportunity to race at this level with that support and to develop was pretty incredible. Um, Madeline is a young woman on the team that... Um, I did a Grand Fondo with last year and she comes blowing by me down this descent. And I'm like, who is that girl? And so it was really cool to, to see her shredding it, you know, at the pro level now and just incredible um, future potential for these girls. And to be able to learn um, from like a mentor like Katie Hall with all her experience and also with the national team director and Jeff Pierce directed them. So really cool to see. And I've had him direct me before and his you know, <laughs> has a lot of knowledge in there too. So, I mean, that's, that opportunity doesn't come every day, but I'm happy USA Cycling could provide that for them as we can continue to develop our programs. Ali, uh, thank you so much. It sounds like um, the big things are happening. Um, if, if, if Chloe doesn't know what she's capable of, I think the entire cycling world has just been given a, a glimpse and uh, they should watch out because she is coming for, <laughs> coming for the race wins. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and hopefully we'll have you back to talk more uh, of the women's racing over the next few months. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. And that's, uh, that's all we have time for today, Bobby. Another fantastic show. Thank you very much. Uh, before we do end, uh, I just want to let the audience know um, that the show, you'll be able to find it. Uh, it's no longer going to be under the Vela News podcast feed. It's migrating over to its own feed which will be called put your socks on so go into itunes type in put your socks on in the in the uh, podcast section and uh, make sure you subscribe to us there please if you have any questions for bobby or myself shoot us an email superfan at valionews.com 
uh, and we'll do our best to answer them in the coming weeks uh, on the show. And if we do read your question out, we've actually got some uh, Fizzo socks, which are super sick, and we will give you a pair. So make sure you write in, ask us an interesting question, and we'll read it on the show and you get a pair of socks. Win-win. So thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in. You guys are the best. Uh, and we're excited to be back on the air. And we can't wait to uh, talk with you guys next week. Until then, I'll, uh, I'll see you later. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on.